0: Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? He said a rod. He was comfortable with that rod. He held that rod. Very comfortable with it. In fact, as God was talking to him in that moment, he was probably holding it on a little bit more tightly. It was a little bit of a security for him. He had a secure job as a shepherd, 40 years. God said, what is that in thy hand? He said, a rod, but let's keep going. And he said, that is God. Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. Moses fled from before it. Before Moses could go very far away, look at the next verse. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, underline this phrase, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod again in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Father, I stand in trepidation this morning behind this pulpit, realizing a holy work of God is done day after day, week after week, behind this sacred desk. Thank you for your anointed servant, Dr. Paul Chapel, who's labored behind this pulpit And the men who serve as an extension of him who've labored behind this pulpit. There's a battle ensuing when we preach, there's a war raging in hearts. And Father, as we've read your word, we know the flower fadeth and the grass withereth, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And though we're not perfect, we thank you that the word of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Lord, as this new semester is starting, there are going to be many defining moments for everyone in this room. I'm thankful for good friends in this college who for 25 years is not the same old thing. It's new every morning. Whose great desire is seeing labors for the harvest. Lord, I see myself this morning, just in a small way, reminding us today of the supply and demand need out there. The net demand is greater than the supply. Please help us, I know there's a lot of pressing urgencies in the room today, but we need to hear from you this morning. I pray for a fresh touch upon me this morning. I need fresh oil. I need God that you meet with us. Love these young people through me today. Help me to be a good extension of Pastor Chapel and the college administration for just a few minutes this morning. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Are you brave enough to hold a snake? How many of you, just a thought, Of getting near a snake makes you sweaty, cold palms. If you're like me, probably the very first thing you think about when it when it comes to a snake is, does it bite? The answer is, yeah, it does. Is it poisonous? Uh, Where I live in Castro Valley, our home behind us is the uh, they call the Crow Canyon area of Castro Valley, and there's tons of rattlesnakes back there. I've killed my my share of rattlesnakes behind our backyard there many many times. Now, I want you to notice in our passage of Scripture, Moses was familiar with whatever species of viper, whatever species of snake that was there, but we find that he has an encounter in verse 4 and 5 that changes his life. Imagine what's going on in his mind when God said, Take it by the tail. Imagine with me for a moment, because we don't have a lot of time, how God is going to change Moses' life at that moment, when he said, take it by the tail. This morning, I want us to see the call of God on Moses and the one ingredient Moses needed to get the job done. Notice quickly, if you'll go back to chapter 3 with me, I want you to revisit with me the call of Moses. I'd like you to see a favorite enlistment. Moses is living a very comfortable life for 40 years in the backside of the desert. He's gone to a familiar place in verse 1, where he's gone time after time again. The Bible says Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. He knew that like the backside of his hand. He was in a familiar place he probably frequented many times. He was used to walking head of the sheep. He would have this rod in his hand, the shepherd's rod, he would lead the way. And on that particular morning, something would happen that would change his life. And I remind you today, as we look at what happened here, we see the call of God on the life of Moses. And God was putting a burden on this man's heart. God would touch this man in an unusual way that would touch a nation. Let me remind you this morning, while you're here in chapel, while you're here at West Coast Baptist College, your goal and desire every morning when you wake up, when you open the precious word of God, when you get on your knees in prayer, when you come to chapel, when you sit in that class, you want God to touch you and change you too. Don't let every day be a normal day. Let it be an unusual day. Let it be the day where God's face shines upon you and God does something great in your life. We see in this favorite enlistment that God comes to Moses and we see the detail here. I mean a wonderful, colorful detail of the call of God on the, mind, on the life of this man. Notice in verses 2 to 4, it's an honorable calling. I want to tell you today as we read verses 2 and 4, it wasn't man calling. It wasn't a headhunter calling. It wasn't the President of the United States called, hey, brother and sister in Christ, I remind you this morning, it was God that called him, amen? God came down in that moment and called this man. You'll notice in verse 2, the Bible says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Isn't that something interesting? A bush was on fire but it was not consumed. All the laws of nature about, about, uh, about combustion were just defied. And by the way, God defies the laws of nature because he's the one that made nature, amen? Moses' description in verse 3 says, I, I will turn aside now. I'll remind you today when God calls on you and God taps you on the shore, you must be now. I will turn aside now and see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And you'll notice why he's there in verse 4. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. It's God who called. It's God who called. The call of God in your life is without repentance. The call of God in your life is for a specific place of service and ministry. The call of God in your life is to a group of people. You'll know the call of God there. You'll know that intensity. You'll know that burden. The call of God came on Moses. It was an incredible calling. It was an honorable calling. I remind you this morning when God calls, God equips. And where God equips, God enables. And where God enables, God promises. And where God promises, God sends. And where God sends, God will get the job done. thankful for my calling. I shudder a little bit when people say something about my business background. I'm thankful, but I don't look back at my business background. I'm thankful for what God gave me on it, but I'm thankful for my calling. If you want to talk about business, fine. But I like to talk about my calling, amen. I like to talk about that moment where God started working my heart about the cities of Oakland, the greater Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area. Hey, we've got eight, nine million people in that area, and you can count on one hand the number of independent fundamental Baptist churches in that area. Go to that area, it's like all of our major metropolitan cities in our, in our great country. There's a metropolis of multicultures and different languages. You come to the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe in about two more years, English will be the second language that's spoken there. You go in my area, we knock on a door, and there are Mandarin speaking, knock on another door, and they're, they're Tagalog speaking, knock on another door, they're Spanish speaking, knock on another door, I was just on one the other day, and they're, they're, they're from Persia, I mean, just a number of places like that. Everywhere you go, that you find that there's a, there's a lower and lower frequency of people that speak English. Moses, as God called him, he was not really excited about the call. But I'm going to tell you this morning an honorable calling of God is what Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus my Lord that he, that he has enabled me counted me faithful, called me and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me for he counted me faithful, appointed me into the ministry. Tozer said this about the call of God, one thing is certain the call of Christ is always a promotion were Christ to call a king from his throne to preach the gospel to some tribe of aborigines, that king would be elevated above anything he had known before. Any movement towards Christ is ascent and any direction away from from him is down. Don't despise your calling. It was an audible calling, but notice very quickly, it was a holy calling. Nexus 3:5, as he's standing there, and the voice of God calls on him, and he says, Here am I. And I want you to understand: Moses just kind of standing there like a shepherd. Moses really hasn't fathomed and really hasn't got a hold of him what God is doing. Then in verse verse 5, God reminds him that the calling of God was holy. He said to him, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Hey, I want to tell you today, don't treat the ministry like it's a game. It's not a game. It's the glory of God. Don't treat the the ministry as a place of recreation. It's a place of righteousness. Let me remind you today, the ministry is a full-time work requiring full-time Christians and full-time servants of God who are in it all the way and are not part of the way. It's a holy calling. So take off your shoes, man. I want your feet to touch this holy ground. I don't want any barrier between, your, between what you have, your contact with me. You need to feel the holiness of this calling. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, he says he saved us and called us with the holy calling. Robert Murray McShane said this, In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of this instrument will be the short success. It is not great talents. God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. An honorable calling, a holy calling. But you notice something else was a humble calling. Moses was a shepherd. He was a nobody. He went from being a sovereign down to shepherd. He went from being a great orator to becoming Nothing. He wanted to rule over people 40 years before, and he's just leading a bunch of sheep. Oh, listen, your generation is so talented. Your generation is so smart. You're so savvy. Your ability to grasp languages and grasp concepts far exceeds some of our generation. When our generation was coming up, but remind you, God still uses humble servants. God still uses humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, He name exalt you in due time. God needed a man who was a servant first and not a sovereign first. The name Dawson Trotman may not mean something to you. Dawson Trotman was a founder of a parachurch ministry, and I'm not advocating this ministry. It was known as the Navigators. When I got saved in 1971, I, that was kind of the, the tool that was out there at that time. Dr. R., that's what I got discipled under, was great discipleship material. Back in those days, they still used the King James Version. It was a parachurch ministry. Dawson Trotman had an incredible heart for God. He loved people, and he loved God, and he wanted to be greatly used to And he made a trip to Taiwan to visit, uh, to visit some of the works there in Taiwan. And he spent some time with a Taiwanese pastor, and the Taiwanese pastor took him on a hike way up to the mountains to visit some of the mountainous villages in the backside there of, of Taiwan. They said the roads and the trails were wet and their shoes became very muddy. And Dawson Trotman spent some time with this Taiwanese pastor. And afterwards, some of the the Chinese pastors came to this man. They said, hey, tell us about Dawson Trotman. What do you you know about this man? And and the the Chinese pastor said, you know what I remember most? He cleaned my shoes. Dawson Trotman was called as a humble servant of God. And he died as a humble servant of God. He died up there in Shroon Lake up there, and he was, he was up there water skiing. He saw a girl that was drowning and, and uh, was having some trouble out there, and he jumped out to try to, to save her. And while he rescued her, he drowned in the process of that in 1956. We look at Moses here, and we see an honorable calling. We see a holy calling. We see a humble calling, but I want you to see something else, which you notice a little bit further down here. Notice it was a humongous calling. I probably that's not good English, but I'm going to use it anyway, man. In this calling God gave in verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know all their sorrows. Hey, by the way, I'm glad. The God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, He knows your sorrows. And he said in verse 9, Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee into Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I know enough about Moses to know this. He was an intelligent enough man to know that's a lot of people. That is a big ministry. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter where God sends you, anywhere God places you, it's a humongous calling. Amen? God calls you to minister to children, it's a humongous calling. God calls you to minister in a Christian school, it's a humongous calling. God calls you to minister to a group of people. You've got to learn the language to get adapted to their culture. It is a humongous calling because God puts you there, not somebody else. Acts 7.35 says about Moses, this Moses whom they refused, saying, who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him. God sent him to be a leader. God sent him to be the man of God for the occasion. Listen, you're in Bible college. Get your calling of God. Maybe today God's going to call some man to be a preacher. Maybe God's going to solidify in some man's heart where you need to go as a missionary. Maybe God's going to solidify in some man and some woman's heart today where you're supposed to be. Don't wander about this time, your years in Bible college trying to figure out what to do. Realize you need to be in God's will right now. You need to be doing exactly what God wants you to do. Don't be reading about what the bloggers say. Don't be reading about what the so-and-so says. Get in the Word of God and know what God has to say for you right now. Dream big. Think big. Pray big. But listen, Spurgeon said this, Brethren, I beseech you, crave Moses' place, but tremble as you take it. We see a favorite enlistment, but notice very quickly, we see the feeble excuses. Moses just had a visit from God. The burning bush is embedded in his mind. The voice of God was very articulate. It was very clear, it was very coherent. He's having a conversation with the God of the universe, the creator of all the world, all the universe. It's very clear in his mind, and you would think that man, God, God came down and God said, Moses, you're the man. You're going to lead these people out. And you'd think he'd be all excited about it. And he'd say, okay, God, when do I start? That was not his attitude. There's something being called the ministry. There's a resistance that comes up inside your heart. That's the devil finding you. That's your flesh saying, but, but. In verses 10 to 22, God is telling Moses all the wonderfulness about this ministry. Look at it. He tells him verses 10 to 22, he says, you're the man I need. He's telling him in verses 10 to 22, I'll tell you what to say. He's telling him in verses 10 to 22, here's what will happen. He said in verses 10 to 22, here's what I will do for you. I mean, listen, God filled in all the blanks. He told him everything he needed to do. All he had to say is, here am I, Lord, send me. That wasn't his attitude. And we see Moses making a number of feeble excuses. Maybe you find yourself making excuses. Look at verse 11. We see the excuse of insignificance. Moses said to God, who am I? Now, maybe you're somebody very talented and I don't don't wanna be condescending to your intelligence or your talents. Maybe you're very talented. Maybe you're a graphic designer. Maybe you're an incredible musician, incredible vocalist, like the young lady that just sang a little moment ago, thank you for that. maybe you're a great orator in the making. Maybe you're a great student. Maybe you're great with your hands. Maybe you're great at problem solving. Some of you will be great administrators. Some of you right now, you're getting the sense as you follow the example of Dr. Getz. Some of you young men may be thinking, maybe God's calling me an evangelist. And you know, your attitude would be, well, I'm ready to go. I think I'm ready. But listen, that wasn't the attitude of Moses. Moses said, who am I? me remind you today, when you enter the ministry, you always have an insignificant thought about yourself. Who am I? But he was making that an excuse. He was saying, listen, who am I? I I'm nobody. God, I'm just a shepherd. I'm not what I used to be. I'm, I'm, I'm too old. I'm 80 years old. I can't go. And a lot of times we'll make excuses of insignificance. We'll say, I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm too slow. I can't speak. I can't do anything to these things. They're better people than me. Hey, be careful. Maintain a spirit of insignificance, but don't let the insignificance be the reason why God can't use you. And I will tell you this morning that some of our insignificance is a different version of pride. Then there's this excuse of ignorance. Look at verse 13. Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and she'll say unto them, The God of your, excuse me, not verse 13, let me go in here. Verse, verse 12, uh, verse 13, yeah, and he come unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He's thinking, God, what am I supposed to tell him? Lord, I haven't been to Bible college. They ask me, "What's your name?" What do I tell them? Excuse of ignorance. Hey, get your schooling, get as much as you can. But let me tell you, once you get your grounding here, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There comes a time and place where the education is good and you've got to keep getting your education. There comes a time and place you've got to study for yourself. And there comes a time and place you've got to know God on your own. You have to say like the Apostle Paul that it may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings may be made conformable unto his death. Don't be like the wise man or the wealthy man. Know God. Know God person. Know God in your prayer time. Know God through experience. Know God through trials. Know God through difficulties. Realize today your quest in life is to know God. Then he gave another excuse. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. Because no matter what your excuse may be, God has a reason. He gave the excuse of insignificance. God says, I'll take care of that. He gave the excuse of ignorance, and God said, I'll take care of that. But notice the next one, chapter 4, verse 1. He says here, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord has not appeared unto thee. Here is the excuse of incredulity. He said, Lord, what you're telling me to do is incredulous. Lord, where's my credibility? I, I don't have, I mean, I don't know anybody there anymore. My connections are gone. I need to be connected. Let me tell you something. You're going to be in the ministry and you're going to get tempted to think, I need a connection here. Your greatest connection is your connection to God. Don't ever forget that. There are people God will get you to if you just get on your knees and your face before God. God will take care of that, let me tell you. Incredulity. Lord, you're, you're, asked, you're telling me that, that I'm going to go to these people. They're not going to believe me. Lord, they're going to say that, that God did not, that did not appear to you. They're going to say, you've got to be crazy here. Listen, while we have excuses, I remind you what someone said. A poor workman always finds fault with his tools. The problem's not the tools. The problem's us. Moses was making excuses for why he should not obey and fulfill the calling of God. Now I pray if there be one thing God places in your heart this morning, obey the calling of God make haste, do it immediately, do it now. Say, God, what do you want me to do? And it wasn't a lack of significance. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. And it wasn't a lack of credibility that he needed. You see, God is allowing him to bring up these excuses. He's fishing all this out. He's fleshing this out of Moses because he wanted Moses to understand one thing. He said, Moses, your problem is not significance and your problem is not ignorance. Your problem is is not credibility. Your problem is you lack faith. The underlying thing about the ministry as you get into it is you're realizing it involves a lot of faith. Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God, and you'll notice the connection with faith and prayer, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And by the way, he still is, amen? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is for us and not against us, amen? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, you can go only so far with talents, and you can only go so far with your connections, and you can only go so far by listening to the blogger's advice. You've got to get to the place where you have faith in God and believe that, listen, I don't have the resources, and I don't have the mind, and I don't have the intelligence, and I don't have the articulation, and I don't have the people, and I don't have the money, but one thing you do have, you've got God, and with God, you've got everything you need. So many of our ministries are being funded by Southern Baptist money and being funded by all these other institutions and by this thing here and that thing there and this blogger here and that thing there. Hey, listen, in the absence of faith, there is no power. In the absence of faith, there's no answers to prayer. Prayer. In the absence of faith, missions will not go forward. In the absence of, listen, the absence of faith, there will be no souls won to Christ. In the absence of faith, buildings don't go up. In the absence of faith, men are not called to ministry. You can add, fill in all the place where there's no faith. God is not present there. See, Moses, you need faith. Moses, you're lacking faith. Where's your faith this morning? So we see the favored enlistment, the feeble excuses, but I want you to notice, and this is the crux of the message this morning. We're talking about faith. Would you notice the faith exercise? We read through this and I get to verse two and I laugh at this because God had enough of his excuses. Did you ever notice how in God, He's trying to set us in our place. He doesn't make a statement. He asks us a question, right? Dr. Getz said many years ago, "Statements accuse; questions convict." And Moses is standing there, and I even imagine if that was me, he's probably started off with one hand, and as God's talking to him, he's holding it with two hands because he's getting real nervous. And God asks him a question. He says, "Moses, what is that in thy hand?" Oh, yeah, this. And his answer was a very same answer you and, you and I make. He said, a rod. This is a typical shepherd's rod. I'd use this, use this to fight off the wolves. I'd use this to fight off the lions. I'd use this kind of help get a sheep out of, out of the ditch there. I mean, it was just my shepherd's rod, I'd use it to make my way to help me walk up the hill. I'm getting a little old, God. I'm 80 years old. What is that in thy hand? Think of the question. What is that in thy hand? Hey, sister and brother in Christ here at at, uh, West Coast Baptist College, did you realize your generation has an opportunity to do more than our generation? You've got technology right now that we did not have when we started the ministry. You've got technology. You've got open doors. You've got some things going on. You've got men right now who are paving the path for you. What is that in thy hand? Listen, don't go five years and 10 years and 20 years and 30 years of Jesus, and say you look back 30 years from now, you blew the opportunity of capturing this generation. For Jesus Christ. What is that in thy hand? You have your talent in music, what is that in thy hand? If God has called you to preach, what is that in thy hand? If God has called you, maybe one day some of you will be teachers in this Bible college. What is that in thy hand? If you've got a great gift for serving or being an encourager, what is that in thy hand? God wants to awaken us to realize what you consider maybe mundane and what you consider being very simple and what you consider something maybe nobody else cares about. God cares about it because he identifies it to you and me and asks the question, what is that in thy hand? It gets better than that. Look at verse 4 or 3, please. He said, A rod. Watch this. Cast it on the ground. Let it go. Let it go. Let go of your fears. Let go of your excuses. Let go of your bloggers. Let go of, let go of wondering if the grass is greener on the other side. Just say where you're at, you're in the right place. Let go. Cast it on the ground. He had to get him to let go of his fears and insecurities. He had to get, let him to hey, He had to get him to let go of his strong personality and his controlling personality. He had to let him let go of his foolishness and of his strength. Let it go. Hey, listen, when you realize what you have and you're holding on tightly to it, it's your security, there comes a time in life if you're going to be used of God in ministry, you've got to let it go. And Then he said something else. It said in verse 3, as he cast it on the ground, it became a serpent. Do you ever think about this? God is in the business of changing things. Amen? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. Jesus took five little barley loaves and two anchovy fishes. That was the franchise name for a happy meal back in that day. Amen? He fed a multitude and I'm thankful for Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I'm thankful God can change a sinner into a saint, amen. I'm glad he could turn a drunkard into someone who's sober. I'm glad he could take somebody who's rough and make him a righteous man. I'm glad he could take a man who's doing nothing with his life and make him a servant of the living God. Hey, God is in the business of changing things. I and mean, remember remind you today, maybe our world has been unraveled. And maybe our world and our areas are all messed up. But listen, God can still change those things. I can take some of you young men who've got energy and strength and ability and go into an area like just like Dr. Rick Martin did 30-something, maybe 40-something years ago. Ilo Elo, Elo, Elo Island and Elo City was nothing but a farming rural area until Rick Martin got there. God turned a little rural farming area into a great headquarters for the preaching of the gospel and the sending out of workers. If my, my memory serves right, there's one new work being birthed every six days because of what Rick Martin started there in Elo City. Can you, did you hear that? One new work every day, every six days. Incredible. And he, the Bible says here he cast on the ground and became a serpent. You can imagine the serpent there it was just on the ground slithering away. It was a familiar viper, one of, one of those venomous vipers that he was familiar with. And Moses was savvy enough, having been on the backside of the desert. I want no part with that. And he just started to get up and he was going to run from it. And hey, let me tell you today, there may be some of us in this room where God has his hand on you and you're feeling very uncomfortable now because God God needs you to serve him somewhere. God needs you somewhere in the world. There's nobody else there. God may need some, maybe talking to some man to go to Sri or somewhere to Myanmar, or God's talking to some man to go to Xinjiang province there on the western side of China, which is Muslim dominated, and maybe God needs to put on somebody's heart to go to one of the stand nations there, Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan, places like that, or maybe God's putting some man's heart to get over there to Indonesia, or get over to Malaysia, get in some part of the world where we don't have representation, and you might be feeling really uncomfortable with that, and like Moses, you may be trying to run away from it right now. You're shirking the responsibility. Moses fled from before it. Don't run from obedience. Don't run from the presence of God. Don't run from the opportunities God is giving you. And then, this is, this is the part I like. Just as Moses, Dr. Gedd, started running. The Lord said, look at it. He said, put forth thy hand and take you by the tail. And imagine Moses, he's looking at this slithering, venomous serpent. He's probably walking around and trying to figure out how I'm going to get this here. And God told him to do something that was not conventional. You see, snake handlers and snake charmers and people who capture snakes will tell you you never take a snake by the tail. That's risky, that's highly risky. You take it by the tail and there's a high likelihood the, the venomous serpent is going to come back and bite you and inflict you with the, with a wound and most likely the venom will get into you and you'll die of poison. And so he says, no, and, they, and what they typically do is you, when they snatch it, they get it by the head and holding it by the head, they know it's safe in that in that way. As long as you hold it by the head, you're safe. Ask any snake charmer, ask anybody that deals with snakes, they'll tell you, you always grab it by the head. Well, listen, God told him to do something different. He said, take it by the tail. You know what he's telling him? He's saying, Moses, I want you to exercise some faith. I want you, Moses to take that thing by the tail. I want you to take the call of God by the tail. I want you to take the children of Israel by the tail. I want you to take the ministry by the tail. I want you to take what I've called you to do by the tail. And I'm saying to you this morning, we need a generation of young people that recognize that the call of God is we need to take it by the tail. We need some men of God this morning that will take the challenge from God to take the snake by the tail and get into some of those cities and get into some of those countries and get into some places here in the United States and North America and South America, Central America, to take the gospel message, to take it by the tail. Take your Sunday school class by the tail. Take your soul winning area by the tail. Take your bus route by the tail. Take that Sunday school class by the tail. Take that children's class and decide it may be hard, it may be difficult, and I've got to exercise some risk, but take it by the tail. When this church started, there to Paul Chaplin, nothing And the older I get, the more every time I hear him tell the story, my heart breaks and I weep thinking, what if he didn't take it by the tail? And you're sitting in here with padded seats, state-of-the-art classrooms, perhaps the best college faculty in all of fundamentalism, You're sleeping in class. You're not really taking advantage of what's going on there. Your pastor's labored and wept over you so that you get somebody in Bible college and come out of this college different than when you came in. God did not send you here, and your pastor did not send you here, and these college administrators and Dr. Chapel, for sure did not want you to come here to get some other idea from some blogger from somebody else. Listen, there comes a time you've got to lay this stuff down on the floor. You've got to cast some sins on the ground. You've got to cast that bad doctrine on the ground. You've got to cast those bloggers on the ground, and you've got to take this thing by the tail. Amen. Ladies, God hasn't called you to preach. But if you marry a preacher, God's called you to big work. I want to encourage every lady here this morning, please listen to me. Every lady here this morning, do not turn the heart of your husband or the call of God into a different direction. Every pastor is different. If you haven't figured this out, pastors outside Lancaster Baptist Church, they're not, there's only one Paul Chapel. And the pastor you might get sent to is gonna be thinking differently. He has a different hands-on approach. He may be a different kind of administrator. He could be more intense or less intense. He may have, he may have a burden, but he doesn't show it as maybe as fervently as Dr. Chapel does. I mean, all of us are different out there, but I'm gonna tell you, you'll get in there and you'll be, if you're not very careful, you're gonna sit on the backside there, watch your husband labor. And if you're not very careful, you're gonna be like one of my first staff members I had. As soon as it hit 459, she was calling him wondering why he wasn't home. And if I took him out to go sewing, it got to the place where it just became a burden and killed his spirit. Killed. Her. He's not in the ministry any longer. And I'm saying today, ladies, you need to keep that fuel going. You need to understand he's not the greatest thing in the world in terms of the ministry, but he's great in the, in the sight of God. And he needs to keep that fuel going and the fire going. He needs to keep serving God. Don't kill the fire in that man, guys. Man, please get some conviction. Get some conviction. You say, you don't understand, Pastor Foe. You're of a different generation. I don't understand your generation, but I'll tell you this God never changes. Yeah. And sin is still the same. And our communities still need Jesus Christ. And while we're fooling around, messing around, blogging about things, now during my lifetime, we've gone from taking prayer out of the public school system and putting abortion in and all of these other things. And now we've got transgender rights and all these other things going on in our towns right now. This is while this generation of people are trying to figure out who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? I tell you you're a child of the living God. You've got a purpose in your life. God wants you to give your life in its entirety. Take it by the tail. We need some men to take South Korea by the tail. China's borders are very, very difficult to get into. But we need some men who get some grit and some vision and take it by the tail. You see, when Moses saw the viper, God was showing him a vision. When Moses saw a serpent, God was showing him success. Listen, you may think of the journey as being a job. The the ministry is not a job. The ministry is a journey. Listen, the ministry is work, but it's good work. It's hard work. It's fruitful work. Listen, what we need to do this morning because of time, we need to take it by the tail. Some are questioning the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Heritage Baptist Church got started, was started, because there was a need for independent, fundamental Baptist church in our area. Missionary came, a good mission. in fact, he's a graduate of college, your, I think your second graduating class was with me this weekend. Good man, he's preaching your pulpit here. We were at lunch on a Sunday afternoon and his wife said something like this. She said, Pastor Fong, now we know you very well. She said, you know, it's refreshing to come here she said, we've been in some churches and we're sad and we're grieving our hearts. They've drifted. They've gone a different direction. We don't know what happened there. And my husband and I were talking last night. She said, we've been talking last night. You know, in the San Francisco Bay Area, where you got all the weirdness and stuff like that. I mean, you call Berkeley Berkeley. We call it berserkly. Amen. You know. He said, if any church should have gone left, if any church should have adopted the contemporary mindset, should have been Heritage Baptist Church. Were you ever tempted to drift? And I said, no, because I made up my mind a long time ago. I know what I am in Jesus Christ. I got my conviction. We're not changing. We're not changing. We're not going to remove the ancient landmark. That doesn't mean you can't be creative. Jesus was creative. Amen. He said tear up somebody's roof to get a man in. Amen. And I wouldn't recommend you tear up the roof, but that's what he did. Okay. The Bible says here about Moses, he put forth his hand. Here's this viper slithering away. He did exactly what God told him to do. He didn't grab it by the head, because that's probably what he did in the past. He took it by the tail. And the Bible says he put forth his hand. Now, that's the exercise of faith. Some of you need to put forth your legs today, and you need to catch it. He put forth his hand. And the Bible says he caught it. Catch the call this morning. Catch the vision this morning. Catch the conviction this morning. Don't let it slither away from you. Don't let it slither away and bury itself in the sand. Listen, you've got a window of opportunity. Catch it by the tail. And notice when he did. I'm almost done. The Bible says in verse 4, he put forth his hand. and He caught it. It became a rod in his hand. Would you write this down? Would you write this down? It's not the rod. It's God. It's not the rod. God wanted to understand, listen, the circle of faith. Moses, if I could change it to a serpent and turn it back to rod, you're safe as long as you have faith in me. You've got my protection. You've got my face shining upon you. You've got my blessing. You've got my approval. He just said here, just take it by the tail. And when he did, it turned back to rod. And would you notice this as we close? That rod was an incredible tool and instrument, was it not? You read through the subsequent chapters, and there, in the, every one of those plagues, the rod of God is prominent in his hand, and it's called the rod of God. He gets out there, and he, you have this scenario where he's over the Red Sea, and God, he's holding out his rod across the Red Sea, and it parts its way. Later on, we find that the children of Israel, three days later, they're thirsty for water, and he touches a rock, and water comes out. And we read later on that, that Amalek comes down attacks him from the backside. And they said, what? He said, hey, Joshua, you, you know who the men are. Get the men out there. Go fight the battle there. They said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to stand on the top of God on the, on the hill with a rod of God in my hand. That rod was a symbol of the power of God. Get on your face, get on your knees, get God's power in your life. Don't let your four years slither away. Let go of your fears, let go of your anxieties, let go of your disobedience, cast it on the ground. Reach forth thy hand, take it by the tail.